Welcome to the City View Community Church Podcast. Whether you're here for our weekly sermons, leadership chats, or conversations about life, we are stoked that you are here. If you want to know more of our story or want to partner with us, head over to cityviewcc.com. Our prayer today is that you walk away challenged, encouraged, and more passionate about discovering your purpose by knowing God, loving people, and living on mission. Let's jump right in. Well, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to follow all of that cuteness, but here we are. You got to love it. They did an amazing job. And there's so much innocence that's going on, but then there's the one or two that's like, this is my moment. I have been waiting for an audience, and I've got it. Well, I told the team that I was going to be shorter today because there's so much fun that's going to be happening on the back patio, so we're going to jump right in. You guys are coming in in the third part of a series that we're in called Wishlist for Christmas, and we're, we're talking about those important values we need to add to our Christmas list this year, and even though our Christmas lists are very practical now as adults, There are some virtues that we can add to, and we talked about the power of gratitude, and we also talked about the promise from Jesus of of an abundant life. And so if you missed that, you can head to uh, our YouTube page, and you'll be able to find any of that. But today, the virtue that we are adding to our wish list is probably one of the most confusing ones in the Bible, joy. Joy. Because whenever Jesus or James or Paul or Peter, they talked about joy, it's usually in conjunction with like perseverance and struggle and pressing through and holding on in spite of opposition. It's like that doesn't feel like joy. And I think we all have this understanding that joy is not happiness, that there's a, a difference there. And, and you know this, and if you have your notes, you can, you can write this down, that happiness says that our, our circumstances or what happens to us, it dictates our sense of well-being or serenity. That, that word happiness is rooted in happenstance, what happens to us, what we experience, what we feel then determines, well, I woke up today and and the kids were pretty good trying to get out the door, so it's going to be a good day. It was cray-cray trying to leave the house, so today is going to be crazy. We we assume that that is going to be the connection point. And, and we, we would all raise our hands in here and say, you know what, that's not the best way to live, right? Like we, we know that if we allow all of our circumstances to dictate how we experience life, it's not a good thing. It's going to put us in a, in a dangerous spot. But if we're honest with ourselves and honest with each other, I think we would, we would say we probably live in that place more than we would care to admit. That so many times it is our circumstances that determine our well-being. But then when we think about this idea of joy, people like James, the brother of Jesus, they make it equally as intimidating. He says this in James 1 and 2, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great strife. No, great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect, complete, needing Nothing. Every, every time I read this, I just picture in my mind that personal trainer that's like, pain is a figment of your imagination. 
It's like, no, you just dropped 200 pounds on my rib cage and I heard a crack. No, that is real life. James is saying, when you have trouble, count it as an opportunity for joy. That is so crazy. So how, how do we differentiate the two between here? And here's, here's my best shot. And you see this in your notes. Happiness is a feeling. Joy is a foundation. Happiness is a feeling, but joy is a foundation. We, we saw last week as, as Jesus spoke about joy and this, this abundant life. But he digs a little bit deeper in, in the book of John. And, and I love this, this passage of scripture, John 15, starting verse four, verse 4. This is our, our big area. And he says this, remain. In, in other translations, I love the word, but we don't say it a lot in our normal like conversation. Abide, remain, abide in me, and I will abide in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and whether such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This, this brings great glory to my father. And he says this, I, I have loved you even as the father loved me. Remain in my love. And when you obey my commandments, when you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. It shows us this, that the way that we discover a life of joy is this, is that we abide in God's presence and experience being fully known by him. You'll see that in your notes. Abide in God's presence and experience being fully known by him. I love that word abide. Abide. In the original language, it means to, to dwell, to tarry. But, but here, here's the, the part that I love about the definition. It means to endure without yielding. Jesus says, you want to experience overflowing joy? Then, then endure in my presence without yielding. Endure through whatever you're going through. Endure in the midst of those insecurities, in the midst of those fears, in the midst of those doubts, in the midst of those questions. Endure in me. Hold on to me. Trust me in the middle of all of that. And what you will discover is overflowing joy. The words Jesus used in this passage, they, they communicate something powerful. That the strength of our connection with him directly increases or affects the level of joy we experience in our lives. And so if joy is a foundation, I, I, I think about it this way. I, I am not a builder by, by any means, but I have worked on some projects with my father-in-law and, and, and different things. And if you were to build a foundation, if you were to lay a pad of concrete that was that thin, it can hold some stuff, right? 
But the more weight and the more pressure you put on it, eventually it's going to crack. Eventually it's going to... And Jesus is saying that the depth of which you hold on to me, it's almost like we're pouring more concrete onto that pad. And the pad is getting thicker and thicker and thicker. And then you can place whatever you want on it because the pressure will not break it. He says, endure in me, connect with me, allow yourself to be fully known in the presence of God and the joy will follow. But we have a problem. In our men's group that we were doing this past year, we went through a book by Dr. Chip Dodd. And I love how he says this. You see this in your notes. He says that when our heart is not acknowledged, We try to make ourselves happy through our brain, through our skin, and through our self-will. That when our heart is not acknowledged, when, when what's happening within us, when that connection with God is not acknowledged, what we try to do is we try to fulfill our, our need for that joy, for that happiness through counterfeit means. We, we try through our brain. Our brain is, is just that adrenaline, finding meaning in our lives, trying to to challenge ourselves, trying to tackle that next mountain, trying to get that next promotion, trying to get that next raise. We're we're using our brains and the gifts and talents that have been deposited in us to try to fulfill that deep need. He says the other way that we try to fulfill it is through our skin. And I think you and I can figure out what that means. We we try to fulfill the the happiness that we try to fulfill the, the joy that we need through through the pleasures of this life, or we try to do it through our self-will. I don't need anybody. I can do this on my own. I can push through. I, I wish somebody would try to tell me. I, why, I'm, like, I'm, I'm that person, right? You're like, hey, Danny, you can't do that. And it's like, oh, bet. Watch, I will. I'll show you. I will make, kill myself on the way to try to make it happen, right? We get in a race. I may put you, it's going to take a hammy to pop before I'm going to stop running. I'm going to chase you down. Jesus is saying, hey, all of those things may give you happiness, but it's fleeting. It may give you happiness in the moment, but the second your circumstances change, all of a sudden that joy that you thought you had, that counterfeit happiness that you thought you had is gone. He's saying, hold on to me and you'll see this. We, we settle for these counterfeit happinesses within our lives and, and rather than tr- pursuing true joy, and what ends up happening is it creates an appetite within us. Now, I, I don't know about your family. Your family may be different than mine, but my people, we are always hungry. We, we are fans of food, right? Like that is, it's a deep thing. We all have our different versions of being hangry, right? Like if, if you call City View home, like you, you already know our family. Like the, the five of us, we all have our own little thing that's happening. Like we get hangry, get us some food, or somebody's going to get hurt. But here's the reality is it doesn't matter how full we are, how many times we say, oh, I can't eat another bite. It doesn't matter how many times we unbutton the button on the pants so we can feel a little bit more room and breathe. Not one of us is ever going to turn down dessert. 
It's just not going to happen. I'm so full. I can't take another bite. Would, are you guys interested in dessert? What you got on the menu? <laughs> Bring that baby over here. We will never turn it down. Why? We have an appetite for it. We have a sweet tooth. We, I, I feel like we don't have a sweet tooth. Our family, we've got a sweet mouth. Like all the teeth are just sweet, right? But here's the thing about appetites. They can be developed. They can be changed. Any of you who have been on a weight loss journey, and, and we have before, and, and, and navigating that, all of a sudden, after a little while, your taste buds start to change, and, and that broccoli that you were sick of the first week is like, you know what, I, I kind of like broccoli. Your appetite changes. You, you like the way that you feel when you're eating something healthy versus when you eat that Twinkie and you feel like I'm just going to pass out and die. Like, you, you, your appetite changes. And it's important for us to recognize the appetite that we have for joy within us. What are we desperately consuming in order to have that feeling? And, and it, leads us to, it leads us to the second point. The way that we discover joy in our life is, is that we develop an intentional emotional home. An intentional emotional home. You're like, what, what, what does that mean, an emotional home? A psychologist that I started reading recently, her name is Dr. Robin Hanley Defoe. She explains that we, we each have an emotional home, which is this safe place, this, this, this mental area in which we retreat to when we feel pressure, when we feel stress, when we feel anxiety. And we go to that home even if we know it's not good for us. It, it's, a, it's an emotional home in which we... We, we just need a little place of familiarity, a little place of comfort, a little place of, okay, this is my space, even if that space is crazy. She goes on to, to explain that some of these places, like this, your emotional home could be fear and rejection. That emotional home that you go back to, and it, it leads people to becoming people pleasers. I don't want to be rejected, so emotionally I'm going to go to this home in which I will please you at whatever cost it takes so that you won't reject me. Another one would be chaos and drama. Do you know that there are some people in your life that their emotional home, they love being in drama? You don't have those kind of people in your life. Okay, my bad. I know some people that they are very comfortable in drama. They're very comfortable in chaos, and it, it leads to, when this is your, your place, your home, it leads to procrastination, it leads to blaming, it leads to gossip, it leads to, I don't know what else to do, so I'm going to, and it's like, buddy, just shush it. It'll be okay. We don't have to say any words, and we'll be all right together. For some people, it's, it's an emotional home of overwhelm and distress, a place where, where all of a sudden comparison and discontentment becomes your friends, a place, maybe it's, it's an achievement or perfection, that emotional, that home when everything's going 
wrong, you go, well, if, if I just lock in, if I just work harder, if I just do overtime, if I, if I just push for this promotion, if I just do all of these things, then I'll feel okay. We, we allow achievement. Though maybe for some of you, and, and I know some of you are in the room, your emotional home is this, this mentality that I have to always be on. I always have to be the strong one. I can never let my guard down. If I let my guard down, everyone else around me will crumble. And it's this emotional home that we go to even if it isn't good for us. In her book, she talks about this one lady that she worked with, her emotional home was the word should. I should, I should, I should. And what it ended up doing is even in the beautiful moments of her life, it was tainted and and filtered through this, this obligation. It's like, oh, this was a beautiful moment. Well, it should have been. And it robbed her of this joy. And it, it, it begs this question that you'll see. Where you retreat to in times of stress shapes your ability to be mentally and emotionally healthy. Where you retreat, where you go to, where your emotional home is, it impacts your ability to, to be mentally and emotionally and dare I say spiritually healthy. Reading this, I was, I was reminded of what happened in, in King David's life. And, and I don't have the time to unpack it, but just the, the short version of the story is, is that he, he failed in his responsibility as a king during wartime to be where he was supposed to be. And he sees a beautiful woman and he, he, he lusts after her. He finds out that she's married and he says, that's cool. I'm still going to sleep with her. He gets her pregnant and then has her husband killed. And you think you had a bad week. <laughs> this is David. But listen, I just want you to listen to where David goes in this moment. Where David goes when the weight of the world is on his shoulders and he had just blown up everything. In Psalm 51, David writes these words. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the what? The joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Verse 16 says, you don't desire sacrifice or I would offer one. You don't want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken, a humble spirit you will not reject a broken and a repentant heart, oh God. Where does he go? He goes to the presence of God. What does he desire? He desires a clean heart. He desires a deeper connection with God. He, he, he makes it abundantly clear. It, it isn't just, hey God, please don't be mad at me. David's emotional home was, God, please don't push me from your presence. I can't imagine a life without you. David's emotional home was the presence of God. David's emotional home was a humble and a hungry heart for the Lord. And so it begs the question for you and I, where do we go in our moments of distress? 
Where do we go when the stress and anxiety overwhelm us? Where do you go? Where is your emotional home? And it, it leads us to this in your notes. What would happen? What would happen if you predecided where your emotional home is going to be in times of distress? Well, Danny, I don't think, I don't know if we can do that. Yes, you can. You can determine within yourself when I wake up in the morning and the kids have lost their minds. This is where I'm going to go. When I show up to that workplace and that same boss that drives me absolutely crazy and he changes his deadlines and he says, oh, that should be easy. And you know, it's two weeks worth of work. God, I know where I'm going in this moment of distress. When your spouse is aggravating you doing that same thing, they said they were never going to do again. I'm going to pre-decide where my emotional home is going to be because I don't want my emotional home to be fear and rejection. I don't want my emotional home to be shame and discontent. I don't want my emotional home to be a place of anger and chaos and drama. God, I want you to create in me a new heart, create in me a place in which my emotional home is connected to you. This is so important for us, that the place that we retreat to, it changes everything. Where we retreat to. I, I experienced this firsthand, and, and I'll tell you this story really quickly. I, I'd gone through a, a, a season where I was dealing with a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety, and, and all of a sudden, my, my stomach started bothering me like every single day. Like every time I ate, and I just told you how much we love food, so that was a lot. And it's like, I'm eating knowing pain is going to come. And it was just over and over and over and months and months and months of dealing with this. And finally, I told Lauren and I told, I told my mom, I was like, hey, I'm, I'm dealing with this. And what do you think their first response was? You need to go to the doctor. <laughs> I don't want to go to the doctor. So, but I went to the doctor and did all these tests and we, we did all this stuff and, and everything came back and they said, looks clean. You're in good health. Every, everything is fine. I'm like... See, this is why I didn't want to go to the doctor. <laughs> Sorry, don't get me on that soapbox. So I happened to be reading this book, and somewhere in that book, the author began to describe that there are times when stress and anxiety manifests itself in a physical way within your body. And so I started doing a little bit more research on this, and then I started doing a little bit of testing on this within myself. And, and you know what I discovered? That whenever I had, like, daily stress, I would feel that in my chest, right? That would feel chest, uh, chest tightness, and it was like, whew, but then it would release. But what was happening in my stomach is that anytime I was dealing with something that was long-term, Anything that was going to require more than a couple weeks, a couple of months, this was a problem that's going to take some time to resolve itself. That anxiety showed up in my stomach. And I was processing during that season so many long-term things that we were trying to make decisions about and figure out, and it was impacting me. And so as I started to recognize that, then some of the, the issues started to dissipate, but it, it didn't go completely away. And it wasn't until I finally, and I didn't even have the language for this, but I, I changed my emotional home. When I said, God, 
when I'm processing these long-term problems, I can't carry this weight. It's literally physically impacting me. God, would you, would you shift some things within my heart? Would you shift things within my body? Would you change the way that I think about these things? And as that started to happen, he started to, to truly move and impact things. And, and my emotional home became a place in which I didn't feel like I needed to prove myself. My emotional home became a place where I sat firm and confident that the God who created me, the God who called me, is well pleased with me. And you know what? That changed some things in me. Because I was living my life with this anxiety that I've got to prove myself. i got to show myself. i got this baby face and everybody thinks that I'm 22 years old when I'm an old man. Like i got to show that, that God is doing something in our church. And God silenced all of that and said, your affirmation is found in me. It's not found in what you can achieve. And when I shifted my emotional home, you know what? that pain started to go away. Now, does it come back every once in a while? Yeah, and I recognize it. It becomes this trigger within my mind. Whoa, 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 where am I going up here? What am I thinking? What am I putting on myself? What am I, what am I navigating? And it changes things within us. Months later, I was able to, to get a clearer picture of the vision that God gave us for this church. He gave us a, a clearer picture of the direction that we were going to go. And yes, there's still stress. Yes, there's still anxiety. Yes, there's still confusion. But where I go when it hits my life is completely different. And I'm here to tell you that God is saying that that foundation of joy that you need is found in having an emotional home with him in his presence. And it leads us to our last point here. Where you retreat to in times of stress, it shapes your ability to discover a life of joy. Family, where are you going when life is stressful? Where are you going when the chaos is surrounding you? Because what Jesus is reminding us in here, that if we set our heart we set our mind, if we allow him and his presence to abide in him, that place of joy, that emotional home will be a spot we can launch from for the rest of our lives. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this challenge. Jesus, I pray for my friends who are here that they came here just to see cute kids, but God, I pray that they leave here today challenged by your word, understanding that their, their emotional home really does matter. And so Jesus, I pray for them in this moment that they would trust you, they would surrender everything to you. God, I pray for, for someone in the room today that maybe they haven't trusted you with their life. They haven't made that decision to ask you to be the leader of their, their heart and their soul and their life. Jesus, you would give them the courage to know that 
that their emotional home, that place of joy, that future hope is found in you. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.